all of us have a variety of scars on our bodies. Some from more serious cuts, some less so. Some that required attention, a bandage, perhaps stitches. Others that required none of that. And some of these scars have stories attached. So if we had time, we could share stories. Or you could tell me about when you had surgery on your knee. Or perhaps your appendix removed. I could tell about the time that I, I walked into the tailgate of our vehicle and had to have staples put into my head. All interesting but unimportant stories of my gash in my head. But all of us have these scars, real scars, some that are painful, some less so. But in addition to these outward scars that we can see, we also all have invisible scars. Scars that can't be seen. These scars are a result of words. The words of other people in our lives. Some spoken unintentionally to us. Some purposefully. Some words from strangers. Some words from people we love the most. Words that wounded us, words that condemned us, words that still haunt you even decades later. In addition to the wounds we've experienced, if we're honest, we also ourselves have cut others with our words. We've said words to others, perhaps strangers, perhaps neighbors, perhaps those we love the most. Words that have wounded, words that have condemned, words that have haunted other people, the words that we have said. But in addition to those hurting words, we also likely have a few memories in our lives of words that helped us, words that encouraged you, words that brought hope to you and even healing in your life. So this morning, we're going to think about the power of our words, the power to help, and the power to hurt. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Proverbs, to Proverbs chapter 12. Today, we'll begin in Proverbs 12, verse 18. So there should be a Bible near you. In those Bibles, you can find it on page 536. Page 536 in the Bibles we provided for you. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or just a Bible app just so you can see the text in front of you. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. We're in chapter 12. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers. We're in verse 18. Now, we've been in this series of the book of Proverbs now for several weeks. As we've mentioned, uh, because of the nature of the book of Proverbs, in the latter portion of the book, we'll move around because not all the verses related to words are in one chapter. So they're scattered about. So we'll move about throughout the book of Proverbs. So you may want to follow me when I move around, and so that's great. Or you, you may just want to write these down so you can look at them later this week as we look through the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 12, verse 18. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Today, as we look around the book of Proverbs, we're going to see that our words are powerful and can bring harm or healing. Our words are powerful and they can bring harm or healing. So today, we'll look at our text in two parts. First, harmful words. And then second, healing words. And this morning, though it may feel like an exhaustive look at words, it's not at all. There's a, a remarkable amount 
of the book of Proverbs speaking to our words, to our tongues, what I think makes clear to us, one, how important this is to God, and two, evidently how much of a struggle this must be for us, or else they wouldn't need to mention it so many times in the book of Proverbs. So first, we're going to think about harmful words. When we look around the book of Proverbs and across the scriptures, we'll see that words are powerful, that our words are weighty, and that our words are significant. Now, this flows from the fact that we believe we are created by a God who speaks, who spoke and brought all things into existence, who spoke and created humans in his image. And part of the fact that we're created in his image is that we are communicating people. We are able to speak, we're able to hear, we're able to communicate with one another. So this God spoke into creation, and this God has continued to speak. In fact, his clearest revelation was in the coming year of Jesus Christ, God the Son. And Jesus came speaking, teaching, showing us and telling us what God is like. So we are a speaking people who use many words every day. My friends, the words that you use are powerful. That's what we see in the verse we just read. There's a very similar emphasis in Proverbs 18.21. It says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So friends, the the words that we use can bring hope, encouragement, strength, and life to those around us, and the words that we use can bring discouragement, pain, distress to those around us as well. So friends, at the outset, let's come to understand our words have power. Please don't underestimate the power of your words We need to remember that, therefore, every word counts. Every word that we utter matters. As we think about our words today, we'll be helped if we think primarily about our own words. It's tempting on a topic like this to think about those in our lives who are the the greatest offenders with their words. And fair enough, but you'll be most helped if you think about, how does this apply to you today? How does this apply to your use of words last week and next week. Our words are powerful, they're significant, and very often result in harm. There are several ways the book of Proverbs tells us that our words can harm. One, first, friends, we harm others through our gossip. We harm others through our gossip. Proverbs 18.8 says this, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. We see elsewhere in Proverbs warnings about the the danger of gossip. And one of the most common ways that we harm others is through this method of gossip. And it's challenging because gossip can be so attractive to us. Most of us love it because on the one hand, when we gossip about others, it it helps us to simultaneously feel better about ourselves because we're, we're bringing someone else down. And we're often hurting someone who we might have negative feelings towards. And so gossip makes us feel better, and we can often do so safely because they don't know we're saying it about them. And gossip is so common, feels so natural, that it seems almost unrealistic to imagine a life where we wouldn't partake in gossip. 
at work, with close friends, to, to not gossip about others seems almost a ridiculous idea. Now, what is required for gossip? Our, our text tells us, first, there has to be the whisperer, as our text tells us, and a listener. So there are potentially two ways to stop gossip. The first would be, just don't do it. Don't be the whisperer. If there are no whispers, there will be no gossip. But the second way would be, there could be a whisperer, but if there's no one willing to listen, gossip will stop them. Because the whisperer will have no one to tell. It's funny, I wonder if you think about your own life. Are you at times a whisperer? Do you spread gossip about others? And we, we often may rename it as something else, but is that fundamentally what we do sometimes? Have you done that at work or on campus with close friends about other friends? Are you an eagerly willing listener? If someone comes to you with gossip, do you communicate to them in some way, tell me more? I'd love to hear it. Friends, gossip hurts people. It harms and even destroys friendships. It impacts families, and, and certainly it impacts the family of the church. We also harm through our lying and deceitful words. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. So friends, we should hear how seriously God takes our lying. It's an abomination. Friends, our dishonesty undermines, it destroys trust. It hurts relationships with those that we, we work with, with fellow students, it hurts relationships with those that we love. For as people see a pattern of deceit in us, they, they no longer trust what you'll say. They doubt everything you say when you are dishonest regularly. So friend, do people in your life doubt your dishonesty or doubt your honesty? And, and is that because you've regularly been untruthful with them? Closely connected to lying is flattery. Proverbs 26, 28 says this, a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruins. Now friends, let's be clear. It is good and right to compliment others. And I hope that, that it's a takeaway from this sermon that this week you'll go out and compliment and, and affirm many people. But as we all know, there's a, there's a form of complimenting that's actually flattering, that's not actually honest. We're saying these words to try to get from the person. We're saying these words to try to manipulate. We're trying to use this other person. And friends, in a city like ours, where there are so many people trying to climb various ladders, flattery is a great temptation. The student who flatters the professor early in the term, so that hopefully she'll remember late in the term when he needs some help. Remember, I'm the one who told you early on, you're the best professor I've had in my entire life. 
perhaps flattery. We're flattering our coworkers, our neighbors. And so it's worth asking ourselves, why am I saying what I'm saying? What's my motivation behind this? Another way that we use our words to harm is by being quarrelsome. Proverbs 26, 21, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. And so we use our words to bicker, to pick a fight, always ready for some form of a verbal altercation. Sometimes we're the one fighting, but then sometimes we're also the one just encouraging others to fight. We like to see quarrels happen. Maybe your childhood playground was like mine where, you know, there are two kids that are, that are moving towards a fight, but usually the fight happened not because of these two, but because of the people around them who said to them, you're not going to let him say that to you, are you? And they went to the other person, oh, did you hear what he just said? No, you're not going to let him say that. And so back and forth, we're just sort of trying to push them together in a fight. And so often we do that. Instead of working for peace, we encourage fights. We encourage quarrels. And of course, one of the areas where it's so easy to be quarrelsome today is on social media, where most of us are, are much bolder and much more argumentative online than we would ever be in person. I mean, if you think about it, it's truly remarkable today that you could argue today for hours with someone on a different continent who you've never met about really important things or really unimportant things, doesn't matter, but it's possible to argue so I think it's worth considering, friends, one, do I even know this person? If I don't know this person, how likely is it in any area of life that if you just met an absolute stranger and they spent 10 minutes in person trying to persuade you of a brand new view, what's the likelihood you would be persuaded by an absolute stranger? I'm guessing it's pretty low. And yet we think we're going to go out there and change the world by a 10-minute angry diatribe online bring them over to our side. So, so it's, it's worth asking, do I even know this person? And why would I argue with a stranger? And if it is a person that you do know online, ask yourself, would I say this to this person if we were sitting across the table from one another? Not only online. And if I would say it, would I say it this way? Because I think most people are much more courageous through a keyboard, and they actually are in person. And so our society is at each other's throats, stranger against stranger and friend against friend. I mean, I don't do much on Facebook, except, you know, wish people happy birthday and things like that. But if I just, you know, today just scrolled through my friends and family, I would see numerous fights. Sadly, long-term friendships ended over a Facebook quarrel. Our words harm. They give deep wounds to those around us, especially to those closest to us. Our words, as our text said, are like sword thrusts, Proverbs 12, 18. Now, sometimes for those in our life, coworkers, housemates, family members, the wounds are unintentional, perhaps careless. 
sort of like a, a child carrying around a sword but doesn't know how it works, and they're turning around accidentally cutting people. Still real wounds, but not intentional. Those are, those are hurtful, but even more hurtful are the intentional, purposeful thrusts of a sword. The fact is, we know how to use the sword of our words. In particular, with those that we know the best. But with a close friend, a roommate, a parent with children, children with parents, a spouse, we know what would be the most painful thrust. And we might not do it often, but we know how to do it and when to do it. And the fact is, we too often use the sword of our words to bring hurt. Friend, you see how sharp the sword that we carry really is. And so I wonder, where have you recently wounded those you know and love the most? This is bad news about the hurting of our words. But in fact, the news is worse. Because the problem we have today is not actually only our words, but it's a deeper problem than that. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Friends, those last words are some of the most daunting in the entire Bible. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what Jesus is saying is that your words reveal your heart. So therefore, our tongues, our words, are a good measure of our true maturity. Author Paul Tripp says it this way, word problems reveal heart problems. The people in situations around us do not make us say what we say. They are only the occasion for our hearts to reveal themselves in words. So friends, the words that you say the words that you use to wound, to harm. Those are revealing what's really in your heart. So I wonder, what, what have your words revealed about your heart in the past week, in the past day? That can feel like a, a crushing way to think about this. And we wonder, well, is there any hope for us in, in light of how often we misuse our words and we hurt others? But the good news is, friends, there is hope for us. Because Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, came near. And as Jesus walked the earth, he showed us how to live and he showed us how to use words. He spoke with words of grace and mercy, words of truth and of love. And ultimately, as Jesus went to the cross, he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said these words, it is finished, and he died. So Jesus Christ, who never sinned with his words, went to the cross as the result of the lies of others. Because of the gossip of others, 
to die to pay the penalty for our horrific sins, the sins of our words, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could live a different life, changed and being changed by Christ. So friend, if you're not a Christian today, we're so glad you would join us today. And this morning, what I would most want you to think about is not primarily how to use your words, although I I think it could be a worthwhile exploration, but, but most of all, to consider the words of Jesus who holds out the free gift of salvation to any and all who'd receive it by faith. To believe that change, transformation really can come through Christ. And friend, if you are a Christian, the good news is that Christ can change you. He can empower you to speak differently. Change is possible. So friend, if you struggle with your words, don't despair. Christ has provided a way for us. So what could it look like for us to use our words for good? That leads us second to healing words. So we see hurting words, harming words, also healing words. Look back at chapter 12, verse 18. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Friend, you see these two alternatives. Words that are like a sword thrusting and wounding and words that bring healing. Proverbs gives us several ways that we can use these powerful words for grace, for mercy, for kingdom purposes, and for healing. So friend, by the grace and power of God, you can use your words today, this week, to bless and not to tear down, to encourage instead of destroy. And friend, even if You came from a family who primarily used words to hurt. Maybe that's been the story of your life. That's what you saw. Words that were abusive, words that tore down, words that lacked love. It wouldn't wouldn't be surprising that you would follow in that path. But the good news is, friend, you don't have to continue down that path. You don't have to continue walking in that way. Change really can come. You can chart a different path than the path of your family. Change really is possible. Friends, your words can give life and refreshment to others. Listen to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So friends, your words can be like a fountain of grace fed by the grace you've received from Christ. So friends, people all around you, Friends and neighbors, co-workers and strangers are dying of thirst, of encouragement, appreciation, and kindness. I mean, for those of us in Boston, last week was a, was a heat wave, right? It was, it was brutal. We're just kind of staggering around through the, the upper 90s, uh, going outside as little as possible. But had you just sort of rolled out a, a little wagon with an ice chest filled with bottles of water that are iced down and just kind of handed those out, you'd have been the, the most popular person in the city refreshing, weary, tired, hot people. I mean, so can your words be. Instead of hurting, refreshing, like an ice-cold drink on the hottest day of the year. Friend, do you believe your words could work like that? Friends, our words can bring healing as our words pour out wisdom. Proverbs 10.31 says, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. 
but the perverse tongue will be cut off. So instead of folly, we can be a people who spread wisdom. Our world needs wise people. Now, as a wise person, that doesn't mean that I know everything. It doesn't mean you have to share your opinion on everything. But friend, there is a wisdom that God's people can have that enriches, that impacts, that helps those around us. Our words can also bring healing as our words bring peace. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So our words can be used to stir up quarrels. Our, Our words can be used to encourage a fight, or our words can be used to work for peace. Two people at work are at odds. Do you encourage the fight or do you try to encourage peace? Two close friends are at odds. Do you try to work for reconciliation? We can be a a, a vessel God uses to bring about, to encourage peace. And what a beautiful kingdom life to be a peacemaker. In a world where everyone seems to be at each other's throats, what if we were a people of peace? Healing words are also marked by honesty. Proverbs 16, 13, righteous lips are the delight of a king. And he loves him who speaks what is right. Friend, in a world who likes to stretch the truth, likes to only tell part of the truth, what if we were truth tellers? People could count on us. If we said yes, it means yes. If we say no, it means no. The things we commit to do, what if we really followed through and did them? Our healing words can also encourage the anxious. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. As we all know, our world, our neighbors, our circle of friends, our family are unfortunately filled with anxiety. Concerns, worry. I mean, some of you are are new to the city, perhaps. You're anxious about what this new place. Why don't they have air conditioners everywhere? Where do you park a car? Lots of anxiety about new things that are starting. And friends, our words cannot solve everything, but our words can help friends and family, coworkers who need a word of blessing and truth. I had a mentor in college who invested deeply in me and just encouraged me as a follower of Jesus. And at the time, I was profoundly immature, insecure, and prideful, shy, and anxious. That was just the start of the list. There were plenty of other things going on. But as he loved and invested in me, he encouraged me meaning he, through his words, put courage in me. As he said things like, no, by God's grace, you can really change. No, by God's grace, you really can make progress against that sin. As he said things like, I believe you can do it. I believe you should try that. And my life was changed by those words that made my heart glad. 
And friends, we can't fix the struggles of so many in our life. But friends, never discount how your words can make hearts glad around you. Our words of healing can also be used to speak up for the weak, to defend and to liberate. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So God's people can and and must speak up for those who, especially for those who cannot speak up for themselves. So we speak up for those on the margins. So we lend our voices. We We can lend whatever influence we have, great or small, to speak up for the unborn, to speak up for the child who needs adoption, to speak up for children in foster care, to speak up for the oppressed, for those facing injustice, to speak up for the poor and for the refugee, and the list goes on. Well, the fact is, none of us can speak up for all of those, but the question is, well, who could you speak up for? Where you are in life, where could you speak up for the voiceless? Use your words for healing. Our words can also be used to lovingly and faithfully correct. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And this might be surprising to you that we think of correcting others as actually a form of healing words. It's absolutely true that sometimes our our words of correction aren't healing. They can be destructive. We can do it in a wrong way or from a wrong motive. But there also is a way that sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to correct a close friend, a fellow Christian. In fact, sometimes if we're unwilling to correct, that that is unloving. So when there's a way empowered by the Spirit where it is a loving, gracious, healing thing, for us to seek to correct, to work for the good of a brother or sister. And friends, as we seek to use our words to bring healing, we seek to spread the good news of our King who's provided ultimate healing. 2 Corinthians 5.20, that's what it says, of Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So as we go with words of healing, friends, we, we go with the words of the gospel. To say to any person you encounter this week, you can say to them, God loves you. There is a Savior who has come. I would love to tell you more about this gracious Savior. As we think about these healing words, there are some helpful principles for us in the scriptures. We want to wisely pursue calm and restrained use of our words. Proverbs 17, 27, and 28, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So the wise person who's growing in grace seeks to be restrained in our use of words. This is not natural for most of us, but it's also not impossible. So friends, you think about your week, where might you need to use restraint with your words. And closely related to this is we also wisely seek to speak fewer words. Proverbs 10, 19, where words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. I mean, here's just baseline wisdom. 
This is just math. He says, the more words you say, the more you'll sin. Logically, it follows, right? If If you talk a lot, you will likely sin more through your words. So there's an awareness that the more I talk, the more likely I am to hurt others. Years ago, I took some college students for a couple of weeks and we were in East Africa. And so we were together basically 24-7. So it was just a lot relationally to be together all this time. But there were, there were a couple of college guys on the trip who talked too much. And they just exhausted everyone on the trip with their commentary on everything, their words on everything. And I started quoting this verse to them over and over. Because they said enough that eventually they would offend everyone, right? And they would sin against everyone if they would just be quiet. Now, I think if you, this was 20 years ago, if you talk to those guys today, they probably still remember this verse just because I, I quoted to them so many times. But friends, how often would we be well served just to say less? I mean, the world will be fine, probably, without my opinion, on a few things. And maybe your opinion as well. Maybe they don't all need to hear everything we have to say on every topic. Friends, a mark of increasing godliness is self-control. And we want to be a self-controlled people who are careful with how we use our words. Now, sometimes we think about this and we say, well, this is just how I am. So some would say, well, I'm just a blunt person. I just tend to speak my mind. Or, Or I'm being inauthentic if I don't say it. Or I come from a family that tells it like it is. Friends, be careful that we're not excusing Sinful language, destructive words. So what might might be some action steps today? Friend, first, I hope you'll leave this morning understanding the power of your words. Our words are weighty. They're significant. And perhaps today the wise thing for maybe all of us in the room is to, to repent at some level. For the way we have sinfully used our words the coworker, your fellow student, your neighbor, your housemate, your spouse, your kids. I'd also encourage you, pray in this area. Pray, say, God, would you help me? This feels overwhelming. On the one hand, it's hard to imagine change, but would you change me? Ask God to change the way you use your words. And then fight with all the strength that you have. Tomorrow, the moment comes, you're tempted to say this cutting word. What will you do then? Trust the Spirit has given you the power to resist. I don't have to say it. I don't have to fight back. I don't have to argue. You may be helped to invite some accountability. Maybe to ask a trusted friend, say, look, at, at, at work, I've just really been hurting people with my words. Or in a relationship, you've been hurting this person you care about. But we also want to understand it's a, it's a lifelong battle. It, it will, will not be solved this week. It will last every day that you live. And so I would encourage you to seek to learn. If you want to read more or think more deeply on this, a few books I'd recommend to you. A guy named Paul Tripp has written a helpful book called War of Words. A guy named Sam Crabtree has written a helpful book called Practicing Affirmation. Think about how can we affirm others. Uh, Jerry Bridges wrote a a book called Respectable Sins, and there's one chapter in there on the sins of the tongue. I would recommend any of those to you. And then perhaps this week, start some new practices or return to some old practices, like maybe craft an email to somebody with words of healing. 
words of encouragement, words of thanks. Maybe write a handwritten note to somebody with a similar sort of message. Or maybe, you know, by phone, talk to them, or in person, face-to-face, and express to them how much they matter to you. Express your gratefulness for their friendship. I have a close friend who's uh, been pastoring a church for 20 years, and and today's his last Sunday there. So this this week, I I wrote a letter because I have a reception for him. So I wrote a letter just, you know, affirming him as a friend to me, affirming what I know God has done through him in that church. And as I wrote it, you know, at the end, I I, kind of made a joke and said, you know, I'm going to stop now because you're not dead yet. I don't want to say everything that I have to say because you've still got some years left in life. I was joking about that. But to a certain extent, there's some truth to that, isn't there? But so often we don't tell people how much they mean to us until they're gone. And there's value at a funeral of saying, this person mattered to me and celebrating their life. But why don't we tell them more often? Why don't I tell more often? And if we don't do it regularly, it will at first feel authentic to write an email or to say it to a person. And the other person may think, what's wrong with you? Why, are you? why are you saying these things? It doesn't matter. Start. Take some first steps. So friends, our words can harm, but they can also heal. And friends, let's imagine together what we could do as a family of faith in this city. How we could tell a better story by our life together, not because we're perfect, but if we were a people who, who tell the truth. A people who love enough to correct and to be corrected. Of people who are humble enough to apologize to one another, who are willing to embolden and strengthen one another. From what would it look like for you this week within our life together and just in, in your world as you're scattered this week to look for opportunities to say to someone, I'm thankful for you. To express appreciation freely this week. To look for ways to affirm others and build them up. To say to somebody else, well done. Great job on that. To tell someone else, I think you could do it. I know it's scary, but I believe in you. I think you could do it. Well, what if we did that? What if we said to one another, I'm sorry. I forgive you. I love you. And as we speak to one another, we also have the chance to speak God's very word to one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. The Christ of his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the words of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. So what he's saying is we we don't need a Christian to tell us something new. Perhaps it tells what we already know, but we need to hear it from somebody else because we doubt it in our own voice. So friend, what an opportunity we have to say to one another, to say to one another, God loves you. To say to one another, God has forgiven you. To say to one another, God will never forsake you. He will keep you to the end. He will never let you go. To say to one another, there is grace for you in Christ this week. To say to you, no matter how deep and dark the valley is, God is with you.
and countless other things we can say to one another because they are God's word. And with those words, we can build up and not tear down. We can heal instead of harm. And that would be a worthwhile pursuit for all of us. So by the grace and power of God, may we take steps towards that today, this week, that God would be glorified and others built up, encouraged, emboldened by the words we say. Now, as a means of response, there's the connection card in your worship guide. Maybe there's some ways we could pray for you. You might say, I want to talk more about this. Be happy to do that. Or you might say, look, I've just really struggled in this area. Uh, We have a biblical counselor. We'd be happy to point you to as well. If you just feel like this is such a substantial impact on relationships in your life, we'd love to help you make progress in that. So we're going to bow our heads for a time of silent praying. Then I'll lead us in praying together, and then we'll sing as a means of response. Let's bow our heads together. Father, would you help us today not to be crushed under the weight of condemnation as we think about how often we have hurt others. We're thankful that you have spoken a better word in Christ. That there's forgiveness, full and free. Salvation is ours for those who've trusted in Christ. That you are at work renewing us and transforming us and you can bring healing even in those areas of hurt. But Father, would you also not allow us to just stay where we are? Would you give us a desire to make progress? Would you scatter us this week to build up and to affirm, to encourage the anxious, to love the weary? Help us to say to one another, God loves you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, I pray today for some who've never trusted in Christ that they might consider the free gift of salvation today in Christ. Father, would you now help us as we sing, as we use our words to praise you in song, in Jesus' name, amen.